Hello, and welcome to the Untitled Female Driven Podcast. We are three film and television writers who are here to talk about how to make it as professional writers in the entertainment industry. This podcast covers what we wish we'd known when we were getting started so that you all listeners can learn the easy way what we learned the hard or semi-hard way. So I'm Erica Schreiber. I mostly write features. I'm Jess Cho. I mostly write for TV. And I'm Hannah Rosner. I also mostly write for TV. And I'm so glad you guys write for TV because today we are here to talk about surviving your first staff writing job. Or how not to fuck up in the writer's room is my (laughs) subtitle for that. That is a better way to put it. (laughs) So let's talk about being a staff writer in the writer's room. Like we've gone over the hierarchy. So everyone who listened to that episode should know that the staff writer is the lowest position of being an actual writer in a writer's room, which still congratulations, you're a writer in a writer's room. So, you know, let's talk about the role of the staff writer, you know, what you can expect. Your first writing job in a room, you're a staff writer, you really want to make a good impression and you really want to sort of go above and beyond to stand out because it's hard enough to get your first staff job and get in a writer's room. And then it's even harder to work your way up from staff writer to story editor. Yeah, technically there's nowhere to go but up. Right. It's true. Well, you can definitely go laterally, I guess. That's true. Uh, There's a lot of people, especially women of people of color, who are forced to repeat staff writer many times. But hopefully that's something that's improving. So really, it's different on every show, kind of the expectations of a staff writer. But at least what you can expect is that you are going to be the hardest working person in the room, which you're not, you know, co-EP probably is, or or some of the upper levels are also working very hard. They have a lot of responsibilities with regards to production and um, casting and watching, you know, dailies and stuff. But as far as the, in the writer's room, when you're all writing and when you're all working on the board and breaking story, you want to be coming in with pitches every day. You want to be constantly generating ideas. My first year when I interviewed for legacies my boss when i was interviewing i said well what what are your expectations of a staff writer which hot tip is a pretty good question to ask in your interview he said just always be thinking about the show and i took that quite literally and i was always thinking about the show and coming in every day with with an idea and it's it's helpful you know you kind of want to become the expert on your show if you can especially if it's uh, not a first season if there's been previous seasons that you can watch you know, you've seen every episode multiple times, you know, everything about all the characters, you've read all the pitch decks and Bibles that everybody came up with, or maybe you were in the room for when, you know, they were generating mythology for the show. So yeah, just kind of want to be the encyclopedia. Yeah, I was gonna say it's good to be the detail person, the person who, you know, like, when there's that room, someone's pitching something like, oh, but did we do that, you know, last season? Or is this too similar to something else that you can be the one to say, like, actually, we didn't do that. We did this. Here's all the details so that they don't have to pause the action to to do that research. As a staff writer, I felt my job was to try and be as helpful as I could to everyone in the room who was higher than me, which is, you know, as a staff writer, everyone. But being helpful meant different things to different people. So I would say that your role as a staff writer in the room is to be as observant as possible and pick up as many things as possible. So you can sort of learn how each writer in the room operates, what they like to do, what they don't like to do. And if you see that they don't like to do a certain task, then you can volunteer and say, oh, I can do this for you. You know, basically just try to make yourself indispensable to everyone. So for example, one of my writer's rooms, one of the uh, mid-levels, he didn't like to write the beat sheets for the episodes that that he was tasked to do. And so I would sort of 
compile like a basic outline for him that he could work off of. Now, he didn't give me credit. I didn't expect credit. But by doing this, he was very open with me. He was willing to become my mentor. And he was willing to give me advice and writing advice and just general room advice. So basically, what, I guess what I'm saying is try and figure out ways to make allies in the room. Try to, make, uh, try to figure out ways to make yourself indispensable to each person in the room that you can. And try to learn as much as possible. Because when you're going in as a staff writer, usually you are the least experienced writer in that room. And so I think a lot of staff writers, like I had this problem too, as a staff writer, you get the job, you go in and you're like, I'm amazing. I wouldn't have gotten this job if I wasn't absolutely amazing. And I know everything there is to know about writing and I'm going to be a hero. <laughs> I'm going to be the hero of this room. Don't go in with that expectation. <laughs> you don't know as much as pretty much everyone else in that room. They know you don't know as much. And they're basically, they're there to test you. They're there to see how well you do not just as a writer, but as a person they want to spend time with. Because, you know, in a writer's room, you're going to be with these people for anywhere between eight to 12 hours a day. So they have to know that they can work with you and that they like you. And so I would say just keep your ego in check, learn as much as you can, be as helpful as you can. And I think you can't go wrong. What I'm hearing is that you see the staff writer is kind of like the support staff of the writer's room, like as a writer, you know, like we, we've talked about how support staff in the room, you know, writer's assistants, showrunner's assistants, all that stuff, like the way that they, they serve as the show. And there is, it sounds like staff writer, you're really still kind of making that transition in which you are learning how to support purely with your writing skills, as opposed to your ability to pick up lunch or something like that. And I think that's a really good way to to kind of think of that position when you walk into that room. I feel like people walk into their first room as a staff writer, either terrified or overconfident. And, you know, you obviously don't want to be either, but I would err on the side of terrified. It's It sucks to be terrified, but it's better to be terrified <laughs> <Yes>. than <laughs> overzealous and uh, overconfident. What do you guys do to kind of go above and beyond uh, as a staff writer, you're going to be working the hardest or one of the hardest in the rooms, and you want everyone to see your hard work. So that means arriving earlier than everyone else. That means leaving after everybody else, you know, just assisting everyone in whatever way they need. I mean, something that I found to be useful for me was I have fairly neat handwriting, and so I would offer to write on the board. Oh, God bless you. No one should let me near a board. <laughs> I write like a sixth grade boy. Just to jump in with my own, my mom came to visit the first room I worked in. Oh, that's and so cute. She, I know. It was so cute. I was, <laughs> she was like, oh, this is true. So excited. This is where you work. And then she looked at the board and she was like, wow, whose handwriting is that? That's amazing. And I was like, that's mine. She was like, no. <laughs> It's not like she did not like me because I actually failed. The only class I ever failed in school was handwriting in fourth what? grade. I had such horrible penmanship, but I legitimately, like you said, Jess, I knew that writing on the board was going to be an asset and nobody wants to do it, but it's such a good way to make yourself indispensable. Like Jess was saying, and to also be in engaged and involved because you're physically up there with pen to board. Pretty much every writer's room has a massive whiteboard with every color marker that you could ever want. And on that board goes anything that we talk about in the room that the showrunner or the upper level thinks is important enough to go up on the board. So you write outlines on the board, you write beats on the board, you write scenes on the board. The board is the place where all the best ideas go. And so there needs to be someone in the room who's writing on the board and jotting down all of those ideas and in doing it legibly and structured in a way that it's understandable to everybody. And so that's why whenever people in the room figure out that you can write on the board, you become an invaluable part of that writer's room. 
like in my first job, there's another staff writer. She'd been a staff writer for a few seasons of television by then. And she was, she had very lo lovely handwriting, was very legible, but she had to go out for a few days. So I volunteered to write on the board. And as soon as people saw that I could do it as well, they basically told me, you'll always work. You'll never have, you'll never worry about not working again. Damn it. I need to work on my handwriting, guys. <laughs> yeah. Like I've heard stories like from showrunners that I've worked with. They'd be like, yeah, there was a writer in the room who I didn't find her ideas that compelling or his ideas that compelling, but he, she could write on the board. And so I kept him, her for a few more seasons. Man, I feel like we've discovered a magical secret here. This, this is, is a magical secret. And, and to clarify, this is different from what the writer's assistant is doing. The writer's assistant is generally on their laptop. They have to write down everything. Not the, the you know, like there are ideas and beats that are board worthy, but you need to get the rest of it down too. Uh, and so the writer's assistant is generally not going to be the one writing on the board because that kind of limits what he and she can do in terms of typing up notes. And to clarify, it's not just about having good penmanship, as important as that is. It's also being able to follow along and decide what of what is being discussed should go on the board because you're not going to write word for word every detail of a scene. You know, there's a certain structure and you'll learn this once you're actually in the room. I don't, that's one thing I don't think is expected of you is that everyone's going to expect you to automatically innately know how to write the beat or the scene the way that the show likes to do it. But what you can go ahead and do is you jump up, you say, you know, if somebody says we need somebody to, can somebody put this on the board? You're the staff writer. You jump up, you grab the pen, but you say, okay, sure. What would you like me to write? And, but as the, you know, the higher level people in the room will tell you what to write, you'll start to learn from doing that and from getting practice without them needing to tell you, you know, they're just pitching out a scene and you need to be able to distill that information into a clear beat. You know, the scene has an in, a turn and an out, and you'll just inherently start to know that. But that's something that you learn over the course of your first year as a staff writer. And I would also say that writing on the board will help your just general writing. Because writing on the board means taking everything that's being said, all the ideas, and then distilling it down into its purest and clearest form. And so like I've noticed that once I started writing on the board, my pitching skills actually got a lot better. So I need to cut away the chaff and say only what is important and necessary for the room and for the discussion at this moment. And writing on the board absolutely helps that. I feel like there's other ways that you can kind of shine in the room. Um, and one of the things that I've always really liked is to have the most knowledge about some aspect of the show like if it's a, a fantasy show or something like that like just being a mythology nerd or or something like that you know having as much encyclopedic knowledge about a specific thing is is really helpful definitely it's really helpful to identify what your strength is and you know because i am good at writing on the board now and distilling this, the scenes and the beats but i'm also pretty good at logic which is not necessarily we'll talk about that later it's not necessarily something you want to be amazing at, but it is helpful to be able to say, like to know why something may or may not work because of scene construction or just because of production or something like that. But you can also, like you said, mythology or somebody who's really good at dialogue and pitching dialogue that also should be used sparingly, but it's just another thing to know if you're good at it, you know, and it's like, well, what would be a really pithy line to be a great button for this scene? And you know, you're really good at dialogue, kind of become that person that they, they come to you for a dialogue pitch and you've just got something at the ready. So knowing what your strengths are is really helpful. Yeah, I love it. Like being the person who always takes it back to like, what's the conflict in this scene and how are we serving that? I think these kinds of things, like you're going to know yourself best in terms of what your, your strength is as a writer and your weakness as a writer. And I think that with staff writing, like take your time, you know, when you get in that room, in terms of shining, you don't have to start shining on that very first day. You know, as Jess said, being observant is going to really see you through. 
and figure out, you know, like you've been hired for a reason that when, when the showrunner was assembling the show, she or he put together their co-EPs and their high levels and then their mid-levels and then probably staff writer last, right? So whatever, you know, like they, there was something missing in the room and you've been brought on for that. So really knowing yourself and, and what the showrunner saw on you will take you a long way in terms of how to be the best you in a writer's room. One of the best ways to be the best you is just to play up the things that you actually like. For example, I like a lot of sciencey things. I'm quite a nerd. And so whenever there's any sort of story point that in any of the shows that I've done, whenever there's something remotely related to science, I'm always like, oh, I can t- talk a little bit about that. And I'm happy to do more research and get back to all of you with a document or like a, a small presentation that might uh, shape story in some way. So it's not only like playing to your strengths as a writer, but also playing to the strengths of your hobbies and your likes, uh, because you'll never know what bit of information could be useful to story in the writer's room. Yeah. Or kind of like adopting a character that you feel like you really get. Yeah. I think that can be really great that you can kind of be looked to kind of as the expert on that character in a room, especially if it's a minor character who is, is getting more and more time or something like that. Like you'll have to fill it out. But if there's a character you especially identify with, you know, be passionate about that and really get in that character's head, then the showrunner will recognize you for it. Yeah. And then I think as much as it's important to know what your particular strengths are, it's also there are some sort of universal qualities that it's good for every staff writer to have, no matter uh, what they're necessarily best at. And so I think one of those things, as Jess was pointing out, is just being enthusiastic and being excited about about the stories and the material and always bringing positive energy into the room. You may be among some of the younger writers in the room, and even if you're not, but you're sort of the more lower level, a lot of the writers you might work with, they're just, you know, it gets, there gets to be a point in the season where everybody is, just gets exhausted. It's been, you know, there's, you know, there could be problems with production, whatever's happening. If you're sort of the bright shining light of positivity in the room without being obnoxious about it, obviously, <laughs> but um, then, you know, people are going to want to keep working with you. And then another thing is having a strong work ethic, being willing to come in early and stay late and do whatever needs to be done and looking for slack. Like where is there a hole that you can fill? Where is somebody needs to do sides uh, for, you know, for supporting characters or for, for day players or whatever, if you can jump in and do that anywhere that there's slack, like always be looking for that and be willing to pick that up. And then also being organized that goes from writing on the board to, knowing where documents are located in your Dropbox, like everything. It's just being that person that's like willing and eager to uh, to do whatever needs to be done to help the whole room. Can you define sides real quick for us? Yeah, sides are a very short script that are used for auditions. And it's good to be able to write like a scene that exists solely to demonstrate the actor's range that's coming in. And it should demonstrate, obviously, it should reflect the character's voice and what the character is going through and what their, you know, sort of quirks and personality traits are. But it should also have, you know, like some beats in the scene where it turns from the character playing really flirty to turning a little bit, you know, showing like an evil side or something in in one line. We have somebody in our room that's awesome at that. And I'm always like, oh my God, how does she have time on top of everything (laughs) else to write these sides and keep track of which characters, you know, have to be, have to be in a certain number of episodes. But again, that's just an example of being indispensable. If you're willing to do what no one else wants to do, then you're going to keep working. As a staff writer in a writer's room, what are some no-nos? 
don't interfere with the flow of the room by pointing out logic or that something doesn't make sense. You really don't want to be the person that's throwing water on a fire of creativity in your room. Right. Because you'll get to that, you know, like once you all agree on the emotional beats or the character beats, then like, yeah, then you figure out how to work in their fear of enclosed spaces, you know, right. you know, like don't get bogged down in the minor details in a negative way. Yeah, I would say shooting down a pitch in any form, it's really not your job. If it's a real logic issue, someone else will catch it. But also you just don't want to be the person who everyone associates with the word no, because then you're just the Debbie Downer of the room and nobody likes the Debbie Downer. Like, Don't be the killer of dreams. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, trust me, there's going to be plenty of killers of dreams in your career. Don't be one of them. And also it's just, if you find a problem with logic, then don't say no, that won't work. If you feel like it's something that's absolutely you cannot move past, then instead of saying, no, that won't work, then say, how about this instead? Or I have an alt and then pitch your solution, but never just say no and then have no solution. Ideally, you can take a second to come up with that alt and and be able to pitch something that builds off of what other people are pitching instead of tearing it down. You can open up a new branch of the conversation as well in a positive way. Having limitations can still give way to creativity. And a good way to do it isn't to point it out. It's to ask a question. So if you have a a logic problem or you know that, well, three episodes ago, this character had almost this exact same story arc, you can frame that in a question and say, well, didn't, um, you know, in episode eight, didn't, you know, our lead character's love interest um, propose to her on a balcony. Is that is that is this too similar that he's proposing to her on an overlook or whatever? And then they're like, oh, right. How can we differentiate this from what happened before is another like yeah, that kind of like just framing it in a, a building way and not a tearing down way. Do you guys have any advice on obviously you come in as a staff writer and it's we're again, we're assuming this is your first staff writer job and you don't know these people, right? You've probably not worked with them before. And there's this whole social aspect to a writer's room that can be really hard for a lot of us who, you know, like don't necessarily love or excel at social interaction. So like in terms of reading the room, do you guys have any advice on, on how a staff writer can kind of gauge how often they should be pitching or how much they should be listening? No one is really expecting you on day one to just come in and shine and be full of ideas. You really are. It's, it's acceptable and, encouraged almost to sort of watch and listen and observe and be observant. And so one way to read the room, as you were saying, Erica, is to just see how often are the lower levels talking versus the upper levels talking. So, you know, the story editor or other staff writers, you know, see if if other staff writers are talking a certain amount, see the way that the upper levels are reacting to that, see the way that the showrunner reacts when you pitch and how you pitch. So just having that sort of observant mindset of, you know, being mindful of, of how often other people are talking and, and how, long they pitch and how they end their pitch and, you know, the time, the way that they pitch and all of that, just sort of making a mental note about what are the other writers doing and how is everybody else reacting to that um, is kind of probably the only way I can even think of to really read the room. I would say if you're the staff writer, try not to talk more than the upper levels because the upper levels tend to a no more and tend to steer the conversation. They're certainly never interrupt an upper level or a showrunner. And this is going to sound like a weird example, but some, like I used to pretend that I was an astronaut and I only had a limited amount of oxygen and so I could only speak a certain amount. <laughs> I love that. That's a very adorable image. You don't want to use up all your oxygen. That's all I'm saying. 
because you just don't want to be the overbearing person who never shuts up. Usually, like for me, at least like when I was a staff writer, I didn't really know anything. And so whenever I talked, I got the feeling that a lot of the upper levels were just sort of tolerating me speaking and they were politely waiting for me to finish so then they could actually get back to whatever they're talking about. And regardless of whether you what you were saying, whether it was the best pitch that ever was or had nothing to do with the story, that's probably the attitude a lot of upper levels are going to treat your pitches, or at least that was my experience. And so you just have to be willing to keep working and keep talking um, and just keep pitching. Yeah, don't be discouraged because eventually you'll wear them down. You'll have enough good pitches. <laughs> you'll have enough good pitches that they'll be like, "Oh, that was good." Okay, and then they'll they'll listen with a bit more respect to your next pitch, and so on and so on. You'll make them like you. Yeah, it reminds me of when we talked about you know a writer's assistant in the room and and when when she should take her moment to pitch and how judicious you need to be with that. You know, obviously when you're a staff writer, you've been hired to be a writer, but I think hold on to a little bit of that judiciousness because. Even you're not the writer's assistant anymore, so you're you're gonna be writing stuff and you're gonna be pitching. You're gonna be doing those those things, but much like a writer's assistant needs to be mindful to not step on the toes of the writers. You haven't been hired to run this show as a staff writer. You know you haven't even been hired to produce this show because you're not a mid level or an upper level. So take that extra beat to make sure that what you're pitching isn't something that's been done before and it is worth of everyone's attention in the room. You know, every room is different. My first staff job was was pretty different from Jess's. I mean, certainly had moments where they were just waiting for me to stop talking. <laughs> but, but for the most part, it was actually a very, the room was very egalitarian and very encouraging of everyone to speak equally. And it's it really was, um, the, the, the motto was, best idea wins. And I got, that was made clear to me from day one. It was really made clear to me from when I asked that question in the interview about what do you expect? I got the sense from that, that they want you to be constantly like thinking about the show and having pitches at the ready. And so they do want you to, to pitch often, but again, not, you should never be pitching or, or talking more than everybody else, especially at the upper levels. And so you just, that's again, where reading the room really comes into play, like based on the way that the other writers are reacting to you and to the other lower levels and how they pitch and how often that's how you kind of know, should I be an astronaut or should I be, um, I don't know, expelling as much oxygen as possible. I don't know what does that. I'm think, trying to think of an animal. It's gotta be something that an elephant. Yeah. Think about being a diverse staff writer, especially if you come out of a, like one of those diversity fellowships is that everyone in the room kind of knows you're, you got the job through this fellowship generally. And they sort of assume that you're their, basically, for lack of a better term, their affirmative action staff writer. And so they will just have a bias. A lot of people will simply have a bias towards you. And you just have to know that going in and know that people will expect less from you and will, may not give you the same respect that they give to other writers in the room. I've never had anyone be you know, blatantly rude or racist or sexist or whatever. But there are certainly microaggressions that can pile up and they can be quite discouraging. And so all I can say is you can't let it get to you, number one, but also you just have to be a little bit tougher. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. And, and something I want to point out is that while things have improved to a degree, I don't know the degree because it's hard to get information on this, writers' rooms are still very weighted, top-heavy with with white dudes, right? And so when we when I, when I was talking about how like staff writers get hired last, so you can have a white dude showrunner who hires his white dude buddies as you know high levels, and his white dude buddies as mid-level writers, and then needs to hire 
women and minorities. And the only spaces that he has left are on the staff writer level, which is why you see so many women and and people of color have to repeat staff writer over and over again. And why you have so many uh, angry young white dudes who feel like they can't break in as white dudes because those staff writer slots and story writer slots are all going to women of people of color. But of course, the room is still filled with white dudes. And so like this is a whole other level to the staff writer surviving your first staff writer job conversation, something that's in progress and that there are a lot of things being said and resources being made available to deal with this. And I hope that if you're listening to this and you have you have gotten your first staff writer job or you're doing it or you're getting it, that you're really tracking the WGA efforts to to improve this. And not just the WGA efforts, but the the people who are stepping up to speak for women writers and writers of color, because this is a lot of nonsense and it needs to be changed on a systemic level. It is Yes, that's a great way to describe it. A lot of nonsense. Um, <laughs> yeah, and just, I mean, don't be surprised if, for example, if you're a diverse female staff writer, that they only want pitches, like the room only wants pitches from you that are based on the, the character of color or the female character. Like that has happened to me a few times. And you can't let that intimidate you. And just you have to be willing to pitch broadly about everything. So basically, you have to force acknowledgement from them that you can speak for other characters. You can speak towards the larger story. And they're gonna. some people might try to pinhole you a little bit. And it's just your job to fight back against it. So another don't that I have noticed, especially with staff writers, is don't keep pitching the same thing right? You pitch a thing and the showrunner is like, huh, no thank you, right? And you're like, but that thing's really good. It's really good. It's really good. And so you wait and then you're re-breaking that episode. And you're like, remember that thing I pitched? And the showrunner is like, remember how I said no? And then you're like, okay, okay. Like, don't do it again. I really can't stress this enough. The showrunner will remember that you pitched it before and it just means that you're not listening to your boss. Basically, consider the showrunner's word is law. You know, he's the king. She's the queen of the room. And so if the showrunner says we're moving on, move on. I mean, whatever your showrunner says you're doing, just do that. Your showrunner's word is gospel. Just just go with it. And we all know that showrunners are imperfect humans. And, you know, like maybe you were right and the showrunner was wrong. But what does that matter in this case? That's not your job. Your job is not to be right. Your job is to help the showrunner create the show that the showrunner wants to create, even if that show is terrible. That's one of the hardest things to learn. And it can take your whole first year, um, whether that year is, you know, a couple of weeks or a couple of months, your first job as a staff writer, it can take a very long time just to learn your showrunners likes and dislikes. But that's another thing to really pay attention to you pitch uh, anything having to do with a, a circus or a carnival and your your boss looks like they're going to vomit do just don't go anywhere near that topic ever again, like, try to make a mental note of all the things your boss does and does not like we know that our boss loves Star Wars. Anytime you pitch something that's like, oh, this is like that Han Solo moment that it's it's a little more likely to get through. So kind of pay attention to what helps your showrunner understand a pitch or visualize something that you're trying to pitch that's so true and i always love when showrunners kind of assign homework before the start of a room of like these are the things the movies and the tv shows that are like our touchstones you know so that you're all you you all want to speak the showrunner's language right like each room creates its own kind of language and shorthand and stuff like that but like yours is very based around the showrunner right when we say read the room we mean read the showrunner right so anything that you can do to help communicate your ideas to the showrunner, like really embrace that. Yeah. Don't do what I do, which is 
we I'm on a show that takes place at a school with witches and lots of magic. And I have never read Harry Potter. And it's so embarrassing. But I know. (laughs) But I constantly have to be like, "Mm -hmm," just nod and like pretend I know what they're talking about. I've seen the movies, but they just haven't stuck. So do your homework. Like, like Erica said, don't be like Hannah. (laughs) Well, you know, I and now I don't want to tell you to read Harry Potter because I am so deeply upset with J.K. Rowling. Well, that's why I haven't. Like, I I had it on my – I seriously finally ordered the books. I ordered the first book and then I was like, yeah, but J.K. Rowling sucks. And everyone's like, yeah, you don't have to read it now. So You should read it though because like even though J.K. Rowling sucks as a human, like she did create one of the greatest book series of all time. But I'm just saying maybe right now in this moment. I'm still I don't have enough distance from it to to reread it. But like, you know, like it, there's always been this this is a whole other episode, but like this, you know, I never I never get mad at anyone for their ability or inability to separate the art from the artist, you know? Like if you can enjoy Michael Jackson music, I'm not I don't want to take that away from you, but if you can't enjoy Michael Jackson music, I totally understand why. And the same thing with Harry Potter, right? It like it, if it doesn't if you can enjoy Harry Potter without thinking about transphobia then like i'm all for it but i also am not going to be mad if you're like i kind of can't get into this right now that's where i am it sounds like being a staff writer you're really you know it started out as a as an apprentice job that's why uh, there's some weird wga rules about how you don't you're not guaranteed a script or something or you don't get paid a script fee or stuff like that because literally staff writing jobs were were created as an opportunity to learn. And that's less true now than it was then. But I think that it really is an opportunity to learn from people who have been doing this a lot longer than you have. I think it's a good way to view yourself as a trainee for the job, for basically the the jobs that you really want, which are, you know, moving up on the hierarchy. Yeah. And just taking every opportunity to learn. So any anywhere that you can, you know, that you can improve. It's good to know your strengths, but it's also good to know your weaknesses and use this as an opportunity to practice getting stronger, getting better at pitching, getting better at writing, and um, just taking gradually more and more um, chances. And and that will help you get more confident because the more confident you are when you pitch, um, it just is, that's going to carry you through for the rest of your career. All right, so I think that pretty much wraps it up for today. You guys can um, follow us on Twitter. Our Twitter handle is at Untitled Female. And you can connect with us uh, either on Twitter or you can email us at Untitled Female Driven Podcast at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you. So, you know, reach out, tweet us, tell us what else you want to hear about, what you want us to talk about, uh, any questions. We'd love to hear it. All right, thanks for joining us. We'll see you next time. Bye. Bye. Bye.